Sunday Papers on Off The Ball. First up, Sunday Paper Review. Delighted to be joined by the Virgin Media broadcaster Tommy Martin and the Irish Independent sports writer Michael Verney. Tommy and Michael, happy Easter. Happy Easter, John. I was uh, on Twitter last night, lads, saying that I hadn't had a bar of chocolate or a sweet or an ice cream in six weeks and I'm going to break that today. Would you be partial, lads, to the old Easter egg? Absolutely, John. Yes. My goodness. Tried, tried to do Lent to, to support my, uh, my wife and kids and their endeavours, but I broke about two weeks ago. Paddy's Day is always a hard one. It's a hard one, isn't it? Even when you're a kid. You maintain yeah. any kind yeah. of abstinence. So, uh, but yeah, I'm going to go hell for leather at it later on today. Good man. Is there a favourite uh, flavour or anything like that or chocolate bar or egg, Tommy? Uh, Cadbury's cream egg in all, its, yeah, in all its guises, yeah. Nothing fancy. And yourself, Michael? No, not a, not a chocolate man, John. I'll be uh, gorging myself in licorice today. Not a big chocolate <laughs> man, but uh, I've stocked up on licorice for today. Licorice, good I man. Can't do that. I, can't work with, I can't work with people like that. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I hate licorice, Michael, but we won't fall out about it over the next hour. On the well, paper, I, I found this unbelievable licorice. It's called Panda licorice, and there's all different colours and flavours. And uh, I have a local local fine food shop just up the road, and I've stocked up. Uh, I stocked up yesterday to make sure I wouldn't be disappointed over the weekend. <laughs> Great stuff. Weirdo. <laughs> yeah, I'm. I'll openly admit I am. Good, good, good stuff, lads. Five three one zero six. We'll get in touch, folks, on this Easter Sunday. Let's go through the back pages. Um, obviously, lots of great sports writing as always. Bit of a disappointing story though to start. Well, an absolute disgrace is what the Sunday World says, and it is an absolute disgrace. Ah, oh, just so depressing to read this. Uh, Republic of Ireland uh, star Callum Robinson was subjected to racial abuse online following a starring role in the club's win over Chelsea yesterday. He scored twice. He posted a screenshot of the offensive messages he received on Instagram after the Baggies Premier League success. West Bromwich Albion have confirmed the matter has been reported to the police. Absolutely indefensible. You'd hope that people might get jail time for this kind of stuff and social medias will actually one day get their act together and police this properly. Uh, the Back of the Sun, Heaven 17. Uh, they were a band in the early 80s. Uh, that song was a temptation. Uh, Leicester nil, Manchester City 2. Pep tells uh, Cop, my boys are closing in on the crown. This is after the win for Manchester City. Uh, the quadruple still on against Leicester yesterday. The star, Haaland. It's not all over. Pep will go in for the 130 million Erling Haaland, who's uh, the hottest property at the moment in the transfer market, the striker. Uh, pretty much the same deal on the back of the Sunday Mirror. Get Haaland, uh, that's at the back. Manchester City is he's the number one priority as they ditch the chase for Messi. That's the back of the Sunday Mirror. The Sunday People is the same. My man is Earl. So Haaland ahead of Messi on Guardiola's wish list. And um, also a story that Blades want John Terry to be their new gaffer. Whether that'll happen remains to be seen. Back of the uh, Irish Daily Mail on Sunday. Reds down and out. So this is uh, Toulouse crushing Munster's Euro hopes, but Van Gran happy with performance. And an exclusive interview, which we'll get to in a bit. Mick McCarthy, there's a view of me that is completely wrong. That's an interview did with Philip Quinn today in the Irish Daily Mail. The Observer has got an interview with Greg Norman ahead of the Masters, which we'll get to as well. The Masters starting on Thursday, Augusta, such a big week. 
uh, for horse racing and for golf. Big Sam's high five, a photo of Callum Robinson on the front of the Observer. Allardyce's underdogs demolished Tuchel's 10 men to end Blues manager's unbeaten run. Uh, the Sunday Times Sport, all about Munster, a picture on the front page of uh, Billy Holland, uh, disconsolate. Uh, down and out, Munster lose Champions Cup thriller to Toulouse, which we had, of course, on the show yesterday. And then dubs in the dock, Michael Foley and Dennis Walsh on a crisis for the champions and the GAA. That is on the front page of the sports supplement of the Sunday Times and also the supplement in the Sunday Independent has got the same deal. Uh, end of the road about Munster. Uh, Munster crash out of sparkling to lose, bring the curtain down on another European dream. Lots of articles about the dubs and that breach of COVID regulations uh, during the week and um, Munster and the Masters, which is uh, really whetting the appetite for everybody, I think, and some great feature pieces as well. Uh, so I think, I suppose, the best place to start is Munster, Tommy, uh, given it's the most pressing sporting thing that happened in the last 24 hours. Mm. Um, yeah, I think, look, I, I can't imagine what it's like to be a Munster fan now. I mean, there's obviously, what is it, a decade now since they, they last won anything and then the sheer frustration of what's been happening in recent seasons, particularly the, the Leinster stuff, it must be very hard to swallow uh, and the performance last week being the cap on that. So this is like a two-week sort of, um, you know, a double header of, of disappointment uh, and, and dismay for Munster fans. Obviously, yesterday been been much better in terms of like a great game um right in it brilliant game of rugby um two two teams going at each other but it does keep coming back to to you know and i'm going to start with the sunday independent because yeah. they were they were really good coverage on this um as, as you said the you know the summary in the front page and, and uh, dupont touching down uh, under the post for his try and neil francis his 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 comment kind of summed up how i kind of felt about it you know sort of casually viewing it from the outside he says um you know the, the quality of of toulouse you know that monster kept with them for 70 minutes was some going considering toulouse had all the horses running in their ranks but that is monster's problem when they meet sides that are as loaded as toulouse they are not uh, they are not physical enough to outmuscle them not smart enough to outthink them and not talented enough to outplay them and it's hard to escape the conclusion over the the frustrations and disappointments over the over recent years that that they are they're at a glass ceiling monster in terms of where they are and and that that top level just appears to be um beyond them you know like francis go, picks through the game and um the different mistakes and and weaknesses and and and, and positives uh, as well but he says there's no good way to leave this competition but the simple fact is monster even in the last 16 are not good enough and they have regressed under the current coach there is right now an unavoidable leadership problem which has to be addressed. Um, so that's the kind of the, the immediate take, which was um, a good analysis of it. But there's a really good spread then on page four and five, yeah. which Brendan Fanning obviously had 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 in the oven from last week, and uh, you know the last yesterday um, puts the sort of puts the bow in it really for him. Uh, it's a two-page running back to sort of the early days. It, it starts with um, a WhatsApp message that apparently has been doing the rounds in rugby circles. Um, one of those kind of Stephen Ward type jobs where something's said on a private group and gets a voice message and gets released to all and sundry. So it's a, a current AIL coach apparently who is uh, basically holding forth for a few minutes on uh, what he calls a, a monologue which runs for all, almost five minutes, goes into some detail, detail of what, what this coach thinks about 
the allegedly arseways manner in which the club in question uh, is being run. Um, so, and then he, he it, it's a really goes into a huge amount of backdrop into the sort of the rise of Munster and then what's gone wrong, you know, the, maybe what was good about the AIL influence in the early years and how things have gone wrong with the academies, etc., and producing talents and, and how they're at that glass ceiling now. But there's a really interesting bit. He quotes Graham Hunter, who people will know, uh, off the ball listeners will yeah. know, um, the football Spanish football correspondent, who's written extensively about Barcelona, a massive club with cherished identity. And what the quote he uses from Hunter, I'll just read it. He says, in football, many clubs across the world don't need it, don't want it, don't talk about it, and just buy excellence. And that's enough. But where you can put the right bonfire together and then throw a bit of gasoline on it, where people believe either because they've come up through the ranks or because they believe in the identity, you can see it work. Much as you pay players 250 grand a week, they actually want to feel better that there is an identity. So that was a quote that Hunter obviously um was talking about Barcelona there, and I think the point Fanning is is, is made, and a few people have talked about in recent weeks is like what is what is the monster identity? Like I think Ron Nogara, who who people would have seen coaching um, La Rochelle to victory on on Friday night, and his post match interview in BT got shared a lot on social media, and like for monster people, it's like you know the 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 hero in exile it's like you know your yeah. man lord of the rings you know the viggo mortensen when is he going to come back and save save us <laughs> well he had a really um interesting couple of paragraphs in his examiner column on friday i just googled it there and, and pulled it up he's, he's just talking about the defeat last week to leinster he says as an ex-player you'd be worried about the club now and whether they are losing their identity what do monsters stand for now it's at the stage where they need to draw a clear line in the sand and decide what they want to do and how they're going to do it and with who they're going to do it. Um, they need to formulate a plan that feeds into what Munster is about and then shut up and do their talking when they've achieved something. And he talks about Paul O'Connell being there. And of course, I hear the voices saying, if Rog is so bothered, why isn't he back here doing something about it? To which one might reply that I'm on my own career path and I don't have any role in solving Munster's problems. It's hard not to think in the, in the bigger picture, and like people know about it a lot more than I do, that there is this inevitable path that surely O'Gara and O'Connell at some stage will it will involve them, their, their roles leading back to Thoman Park. But um, right now, this has been a, a pretty uh, pretty tough two weeks and there's, there's, there's good coverage in the Sunday Indo and in the mail as well. Rory Keane turns the heat up on Van Gran and some of the, the squad building policies and signings and stuff that are going on there as well. So loads of loads of bad, bad, those are tough reading for Munster fans there. Yeah, the Brendan Fanning is excellent, isn't it, um, Tommy? Mm. I haven't read one article defending Johan van Grand's coaching uh, in the last no. week or 10 days. Uh, there was interesting stuff about, as you said, the AAL and the, like, the dog that Munster had and uh, that might have gone a little bit as well. Like, the, the, I'm just quoting Brendan Fanning here. The intriguing bit is there seems to be private money available to buy in South Africans, yet the pressing issue of talent generation never mobilised all hands on deck. If there was 600,000, for example, to replace CJ Stander with Peter Steph de Toit, uh, revised downwards to roughly half that for Jason Jenkins, why was there not cash to bump up the number of regional development officers in unproductive areas of the province? And also, and this is well, as Michael, you would know, it's been 10 years in the making what Limerick have done with hurling in the city. Like Limerick has been always a rugby city and all the great clubs, Gary Owen, Young Munster, 
Uh, but to quote Brendan Fanning, today, if you were a rugby development officer hanging a ride coming out of Thoman Park, you wouldn't be long hitting the junction with the Ennis Road. From there, a short distance to the left would bring you to the Gaelic Grounds, home of the All-Ireland Hurling Champions for two of the last three years, or go right to Cahar Davin and the Pearshick GA Club, and the Pearshick became the first Limerick club to win an All-Ireland title in 2016. You'd wonder how easily you'd win hearts and minds around that neck of the woods. Interesting point there from Brendan Fanning about the changing tides between rugby and hurling in Limerick City. Michael? Yeah, and Limerick Hurling and even Limerick Football would have been at a very low ebb, ebb a decade ago, and they've really, uh, they've really went about re-energising those areas in particular, going after big areas in around the city there. Like Napierschig have, have won an All Ireland club title within that time as well. They have like I was chatting Paul Canark a few weeks ago. He's while he's heavily involved in Limerick Hurling, he's also heavily involved as uh, as academy basically director within Limerick football. So Limerick football is probably quietly behind the, the green giant of the Hurland. They're still developing. They're they're pushing on as well. And the Hurland is an absolute an absolute monster just because they put these incredible structures in place. So all of a sudden uh, rugby, which had the hearts and minds of most uh, youngsters within Limerick and within uh, a lot of Munster is now maybe play, playing second fiddle almost as well. Like even chatting to some of the people involved in Limerick football, they appreciate that they're not going to be operating uh, from the same talent pool because the hurling is just so big there now. Uh, every young fella in Limerick is going around with a hurl in his hand. And that's just a result of the work that they've done. And obviously, uh, JP McManus is, is uh, a huge part of that as well with his investment within Limerick hurling. And even I see... He's he's running a greyhound derby at the moment where all all clubs in Limerick basically have a dog running in it and the winning dog at the end of it the club gets ten thousand euros so that's the money that's all filtering back into clubs GA clubs hurling clubs in particular within Limerick so yeah they're doing incredible work there and Munster are been left in the cold somewhat and just what you were saying about identity there like you'd have to question I'm only an outsider looking in at rugby it's not one of my one of my top sports but. When, when I'm seeing all these South African names and you're just thinking, like, is th- that's not the Munster identity that we know. And and just on something Tommy said as well there about Rowan Nogara, like, in fairness, like, Rowan Nogara and Paul O'Connor, kind of, they're off both serving their apprenticeships at the moment. They will eventually end up back at Munster, I would imagine. Calls for them to come back to Munster now are probably premature in the sense that th- when, they, when they go back home, they want to have served an apprenticeship, they want to be ready to bring, you know, probably Munster to another level. And they're still at, uh, there's still, you know, a couple of steps to take probably before they get there. So I think calls for them to come back now are probably a bit premature. Um, the experience that they will eventually bring back to Munster will be absolutely outstanding whenever they do come back. But uh, yeah, it's just, it's, it's amazing kind of how the mighty have fallen. I was down in college in University of Limerick uh, during the really good times from from 06 to, to 2010 and it's just been there's been a, probably a fair tail spin in the time since then uh, it's interesting lads that Dublin are not immune to the culture of everybody else is doing it so why can't we Tommy yeah is this we're uh, moving on to the the Dublin GA saga the, 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 story, the saga the story of the week yeah um, I hope whoever took those uh, photos got a good uh, good agent on the case because they're uh, they're getting loads of they've gotten loads of coverage this week. Um, yeah, there's obviously loads of coverage about that. Um, I think you know it, th- there's it's it's a it's a it's a good it's a good one for the Sunday sort of columnists and things to get their teeth into because obviously there was the initial that it's been chewed over a lot during the week, um, and then there's um, there, there's kind of like a lot of kind of step back 
and, and look at look at look at the bigger picture. So just some of the kind of the um, the sort of big big name reactions to it. Like I think Pat Spillane in the Sunday Independent or the Sunday World rather. Um, like a lot of people, I think a lot of people are kind of really angry about it, and then sort of saying on the other hand, okay, let's let's get a bit of perspective on this. And I think like you know Pat Spillane says in, in, in the same piece that he says it's it was a two you know big two fingers. To the rest of us, you know, he ends it all. He says, "Let let him who is without sin cast the first stone." In the sense that, like, there's very few of us who, who haven't stepped out of line in terms of the restrictions in the last few months, and that maybe look the punishment that was uh, given is uh, is is fair enough, and let's move on. Whereas Mark O'Shea, and he acknowledges this is in the the mail now, and he acknowledges that like people will see this coming from a green and gold perspective. He says this shouldn't be the end of the affair. Um, and he is taking quite a strong line. He says, you know, as a teacher, um, he's he's at, you know, he's he's sort of saying like the players can't um, just say they were following orders. They have to take their adults. They have to take responsibility. Um, he's say, saying that it's worse than the Ronan McCarthy and Cork and, and Paddy Tally um, misdemeanors earlier in the year because we now because they those guys were the example that should have been followed. And he's suggesting Dublin should should be denied home advantage in the league. Uh, as a starting point, uh, I presume he means for the entire league rather than just the first game. Um, but then their access to Croke Park has to be addressed anyhow as an ongoing issue. So that's sort of like the what should be done. And then the bigger picture stuff, Shane McGrath's are quite a big piece about, you know, the headline is Dublin, not the problem. The GA has lost its way about how it sums up um, how the, you know, the rampant elitism and how this, this uh, disco- d- disconnect between the grassroots and the people who are, you know, soldiering through and not going to their clubs and, you know, the juvenile teams that haven't been able to use the facilities. Um, but he's saying this is not a, this is not to hammer Dublin because this isn't a Dublin problem. This is a problem for the entire GA and it won't go away simply because Desi Farrell has taken the fall. He, he's talking about an, an elite tier within the GA and that and an organisation that prides itself on the importance of its grassroots that will go to extreme lengths in pursuit of success. And his last line, Shane McGrath's last line, is the problem is a movement that has forgotten its purpose. Um, and again, just just finding that Michael Foley then in the uh, Sunday Times says that this the bigger debate around this should call for a culture change within the GA. And I think what he's referring to is the is is that same point with the balance between the elites and the community. So so some pretty sort of big, strong big picture stuff. And that I don't know what Michael would say about that like is this is this as a result of, of those things people have been talking about over the last few years about rampant elitism and the disconnect and is it time for a culture change is it a kind of a warning shot on that front yeah no i think it's interesting and shane mcgrath makes some good points there's it's been it's been the, the intercounty game has been kind of a runaway train and i think people thought maybe with that with covid people would take a back take a step back and realize like that we need to halt what we're doing but does this kind of like FOMO, the, the fear of missing out seems to be a massive, massive thing within the inter-county game. It's almost like there's a paranoia uh, about what other teams are doing and what we must do. I know someone said it many moons ago, like if, if Armagh or Tyrone were doing set dancing three times a week, the other teams would immediately think they need to do that. And now, Tomas O'Shea, I think it was, yeah. Tomas O'Shea, yeah. And it's, um, it's almost like teams are now saying, well, everybody else is at it, so we need to be doing it as well. Um, It's just, the, I suppose it's the... It's the example that the Dubs would set, uh, being the standard bearers, being the most successful team in in GA history. Um, 
it, I suppose that's why it was more high profile. People were asking, you know, why was it on page one? I that's why it was on page one because this is the the most high, these are some of the most high profile players and the most high profile GA team that the GA has ever seen. That's why it's a page one story. That's why. Uh, you know, you have marquee names that will go down in the annals of GA history, you know, flouting GA rules. That's why it was on front and back. And I think Shane McGrath makes some good points in the in the mail. He just said this was less about COVID and more about power and pressure. The power wielded by county teams and their ancillary supports and the pressure counties feel to keep in step with what everyone else is doing. If Dublin's preparations were informed even to small to a small degree by the suspicion that their rivals are, are preparing um, surreptitiously, their paranoia is entirely justified, and that is—it's a paranoia amongst managers. It's a paranoia that you know teams are training five nights a week, or teams are training five mornings a week, or what, whatever it is. And uh, it's just a sign of the, the runaway train that is the inter-county game now. And I think Shane blends it in very well with you know how a lot of inter-county players are. You know, no long not that they're no longer club players, but they're not seen by their club as much as they should be now. We kind of maybe thought that that COVID and, and split seasons and things like that might, you know, maybe redress that balance to see to see the dubs out training uh, twelve hours after, you know, a government announcement was made, you're kinda of thinking like it's just it was just a bit a bit bizarre. Um I do think I do think Dublin dealt with it very well. I do, I you know some people are saying you know that Desi Desi Farrell was made the scapegoat. Um, I don't know. I I wouldn't be surprised if Desi put his hands up and said, "Listen, mea culpa. Um, we we were wrong, and we, I need to be suspended or whatever as a result of it." This has left the question now. Uh, when the three when the three Mayo uh, management team that got in through covert methods into Crow Park for the All Ireland final that was dealt with. Uh, by Mayo, there was an investigation by Crow Park, and Mayo were asked certain questions. Mayo dealt with that. They banned the three guys for twelve months. Uh, whenever training starts back, those management team members will be banned for twelve months. Dublin have banned Desi Farrell for or twelve twelve weeks, I should say. Dublin have banned Desi for twelve weeks. Yeah. Will the GA see that as enough now, or will investigations continue? Will wow. they go for bigger bands? Will they go for individual bands? Will they take home advantage away? That's kind of the, one of the most interesting parts of this. Will they see that what Dublin did as enough, or will they push it further? Well, it'd be difficult for them to do anything else if they gave Ronald McCarthy and Paddy Talley those bands. So the precedent has really been set, hasn't it? In a way, yeah, it's, yeah, it's interesting. COVID numbers when when Cartrain and the Beach and the all that time, um, all the guts of thirty of them, COVID numbers were absolutely astronomical at the time. Similar, similar with Down when around eighteen players met up in Abbey CBS. The numbers are obvi- obviously an awful lot lower now. Um, so I don't know if that will be taken into account, but it's just going to be interesting to see uh, what the GA do. Have Dublin. Have Dublin almost made the decision for them, or will they yeah. go further? And that's going that's going to be interesting to see how that plays out. And I think a lot of people will be calling for more. Uh, whether that happens, it doesn't look like it's going to affect uh, intercounty action and training resuming next month. But it'll be interesting to see if the GA take it a little further with sanctions. Uh, Dublin have had sorry, Tommy, go on. Like my, my my sense, I think a lot of people's sense watching it, and I guess somebody who kind of who obviously works in sport is really, you know has an idea what goes on was still absolute complete shock at what I was seeing and, and or you know not not that maybe it was just because to see it in your, in your to see it see the pictures like I just couldn't believe that they could be so stupid to get away with it like or I couldn't believe I, I didn't see the logic of it in their position 
And it, to me, I, I, I keep questioning it. Like Desi Farrell and, and every involved that squad are renowned as the epitome of, you know, they're all intelligent people, sensitive people, um, emotionally intelligent people. You know, the players are known for being impressive people when you when you come across them. So why did they think that this was something that they should do in this context? At less than what is it, twelve hours after the GA explicitly put out a statement, not which was to on do the it. front page of the Dublin County World website. Yeah, and so I, so that leads, and that's why the Sunday papers. It's good to kind of get people's teasing all this stuff out. You know, and Eamon Sweeney's head, you know, the headline of his is "There's more to life than sport." It, it, are you looking at a situation like a, a cohort of people who are so driven and cut off and competitive and focused on what they're doing, and as Michael used a great word, paranoid about what somebody else might be doing, that they have lost all perspective of of their status and their you know their responsibility to to society you know and, and and like that is the stuff that you do need to discuss and kind of wonder like jesus these guys are like they're not like they're not you know they're they're intelligent people and they're and you don't want to hammer them and and you just wonder about the culture that has made them think that, that was a good idea you know and yeah there's lots of good reading on that and, and teasing it out about it the culture is completely incongruous from the amateur status of the association so you have and the one thing i took out of it is uh, stuck in my mind is turning up to this uh, session in sponsored cars and yeah. and and then uh, will push themselves because they're so obsessed as you both have said with having the edge and being ahead of everybody else and um, and is this happening around the country somewhere else I mean that you have to think it is like GA players and coaches are highly networked they all went to this you know the same colleges and they all know each other and, and they're very it's, you know, you don't live, live in silos if you're in an inter-county squad. You know what's going on. So you have to think that they obviously felt we need to do this. Even even they, even they who are so far ahead of the chasing pack. To push themselves know, they, to get to the stage where they will actually break government and GA guidelines because they're so, as you say, uh, locked into this runaway train of what the inter-county has become. It's... Uh, it's, 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 it's great stuff, really. Like, there are a lot of, as you say, considered points in the papers, and we'll get to lots of stuff after the break. Michael Verney from the Irish Independent and the Virgin Media broadcaster, Tommy Martin, on the Masters, the Grand National, and uh, Stephen Kenny in the Republic of Ireland. The Sunday Paper Review is back after this. The Sunday Papers on Off the Ball. Back to Off the Ball here on News Talk this Easter Sunday. John Duggan with you through until seven, sitting in for Joe Malloy. This is the paper review with Tommy Martian from Virgin Media and the Irish Independent sports writer Michael Verney. Remember, as well as listening on News Talk, you can watch us on the social channels for Off the Ball, for Periscope on Twitter, at Off the Ball, YouTube, Facebook, and on the OTB Sports app. Uh, just get some, some of the texts that are coming in uh, on the debate so far. We've spoken about Munster and the Dubs. Uh, 53106. Hurling was always number one in County Limerick. Hurling is still struggling in Limerick City outside of Napiershig. Rugby itself has turned its back on club rugby and has thus impacted rugby in the city, says Paul. And lads, you are lamenting Munster's lack of grunt and muscle in recent games and at the same time having reservations about them bringing in large South African heavyweights. Munster are rebuilding, should be commended. No team can always win all games. Commentary needs to be realistic. That is from Wayne in Ennis. Got to disagree with one of your contributors there. Ronald O'Gara is no longer an apprentice. He's head coach for a team 
Champion that are probably stronger than Munster at present. He served his time already with very successful teams. In my opinion, his next job will be at a national level. He's by far one of the greatest minds in the game at present and unfortunately may never be head coach for Munster. And over the dub situation, why was there no suspension set down prior to the offence? Why in the GA is it an afterthought until their suspension set out for players? Then teams will flout the rules. Forget about suspending the manager or home advantage. The punishment does not fit the crime. The players, all intelligent, highly educated people, chose to train. They chose the route. In terms of Stephen Kenny, <laughs> there's always going to be newsprint on the Republic of Ireland uh, after what happened in the last 10 days to two weeks, guys. Um, Tommy, Paul Rowan, I thought, had, had probably the most interesting article today in the Sunday Times about it. Yeah, Paul Rowan had a really good piece during the week, actually, at the height of the post-Luxembourg um, uh, soul-searching, um, where he talked about the uh, the debates and how the lines have been drawn. And I think, if I recall rightly, he characterised, or he said it was being characterised as the dinosaurs against uh, the hipsters. So, like, all the ex-pros and maybe older uh, commentators were, uh, were not having the new, brave new Stephen Kenny world, whereas the... Uh, what he called a Dublin clique, uh, were, were lined up in, 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 in Kenny's favour and defending the indefensible in the recent performances. So um, I don't know if that's the way it, it really is, but uh, it's kind of interesting background. So today's piece, he kind of, uh, I think he, 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 if that's the way he he's characterising, he's putting himself very much in with the dinosaurs because uh, he is um, he's basically essentially from his point of view calling time on the the Stephen Kenny era and making a big push for the return of Mr one Mr R Keane and not the R Keane who's on the uh, Ireland payroll at the moment the other R Keane who was on the Ireland payroll for much of the last decade Roy. Martin O'Neill's uh, assistant manager yeah Roy um not sure about this one I must say I must say not sure about this one his his point of view is that look Whatever about by Stephen Kenny, and there will be a review that the FAI must conclude that there are better candidates around who, who could do a better job. Michael O'Neill is one that he mentions, who he understands who would like the job at some point, but now might not be the right time. The two that most come immediately to mind are Roy Keane and Lee Carsley. Now, Lee Carsley is very highly regarded um, coach working in the uh, England um, setup at the moment, has worked, worked at Man City. I think he's at the England setup at the moment. And was uh, approached to be Damien Duff's successor as as uh, as coach with Stephen Kenny, but it didn't suit him at the time. But um, Keen, yeah, he gives he gives Keen a big push, um, suggesting that um, his, his uh, Sunderland team played an exhilarating brand of football in their promotion from the Championship to the Premier League, so he wouldn't be the long ball stuff um, necessarily. Okay, so he was Martin O'Neill's attack dog, um, but he, you know he. He'd uh, he'd rein that in as manager. It's a bit of a stretch for me. Like I I just think Roy Keane stays as a as a manager. I I believe in in, in modern football are long long gone. And I think that the the you know um, fractious denouement of his time with the Ireland squad, where he was uh, if you believe the WhatsApp messages, uh, roaring at people in the in the in the physio room um, for 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 getting treatment for knocks and that sort of stuff. I just don't think he his his uh, way works with modern players. Um, listening to people, you know, people like Damien Delaney, and uh, in terms of like working with Virgin Media, the modern players want an awful lot of detail, and they want they they do. I don't think that sort of um, approach from Keane necessarily would work. Maybe if you had a, a more, you know, a, a more modern focused coach working with them, maybe that that would work. 
Um, but it's an interesting piece, and he goes on to talk about the internal machinations and um, the sense that, like, uh, you know, that that maybe the FAI don't have the expertise to make the decision. He's talking about the the president or the chairman Barrett, Roy Barrett, as a stockbroker. President Jerry McEnany, an ex-Irish army man, rude doctor. Um, well, that's what Jonathan Hill is there for, though, isn't it? That's what yeah, Jonathan Hill's yeah. There for. Um, so he's kind of saying maybe there's a little bit of a lack of direction from the top. Uh, and and St- Philip Quinn's piece in the Mail suggests that there might be a, that the board is split uh, on Stephen Kenny. So I, pre- I presume he's he's well sourced on that as well. Yeah. So um, indicate uh, interesting to see if there if there are um, debates and discussions within it, but. Yeah, as you say, it's and the interesting Sunday Independent have not touched Stephen Kenny and, and Irish Squad at all. Maybe they feel that there's been an upset about it. Um, there probably has. Philip piece, yeah. yeah, Philip Quinn's piece is very good, though. He says that, you know, our stock has fallen so far, and now we can't even mock the Macedonians. He's, he's pointing, you know, the big story, never mind Luxembourg, the big story of the week was North Macedonia beating Germany. And the way he, the way he puts it, they could actually overtake us in the world rankings over the summer if they continue their... Um, their uh, trajectory. So he says, it's a far cry from when a scruffy yellow top daubed with the words, I had a Macedonia, uh, was awarded to the worst Irish player in training as a memory of that World Cup loss. How we mocked Macedonia then, no longer. Yeah, Paul Rowan, there's a, there's a line in this, Kenny has won over the new FAI with his vision and now even sits on the senior leadership team as international football director. A review of the whole coaching system about to get underway as the FAI might even increase his powers further. Sadly, winning over the players is proving an impossible job for him. I don't know where that comes from. And others within reaching distance could do a better job. Um, I did say to David Myler yesterday in the show that I think, he, I know that all the style of playing all that uh, is really important, but now it, it really is a case that after Luxembourg, results are the key thing, I think, at the moment. And you got to have the players on side and the senior players, um, the McLean, uh, Hendrick, Brady, Duffy, these type of players. I think Coleman obviously is the captain. And I think that'll be the biggest challenge for, for Stephen Kenny going forward, just to having that cohesion with all the players on the same hymn sheet with them uh, going forward. Um, also, Mbappe as well. There's a bit of writing about him, isn't there, in the in the Sundays? Obviously, it's all over the back pages. Uh, Haaland, is it? Yeah. Yeah, um, there's very interesting stuff about Haaland. Um in the mail and Graham Souness has a piece in the Sunday Times uh, suggesting that he has the talent uh, to be on a par with Messi. Now, having worked with Graham, uh, I know he doesn't dish out these kind of compliments uh, very easily. He feels that um, this, I've never, like, I, I can't remember the last time there's been such a, a frenzy over a, an individual player as there is with Haaland at the moment. And basically he had this sort of roadshow where his, his agent Mino Raiola and his dad are are basically traipsing around the clubs of Europe and and waiting and asking them, okay, what have you got to offer our boy? Uh, and uh, to me, he's at, he's at that level. I, I agree with Graham. I don't know. I think I might hold back on the Messi comparisons in terms of that sort of impact. And like Graham says, he's along. He has to do it over con- sustained time. But to me, he's the um, he's a bit. We're going to talk about Masters and Deschambeau in a moment. Yeah, he's one of those players who changes the terms of engagement whenever they step into the arena. So like Deschambeau, you know, they're, how do we change the game, the clubs, the course, what the hell, like this guy is just completely tearing up everything. Haaland goes onto a pitch and the, the whole, the whole shape of the match can be shaped by him, what he's able to do. And what, like, it, he just, he just changes the, the way the opposition 
approach the game when the ball comes to his feet you can just feel the whole shape of all the other players and what they're doing alter to him because he can just do things and he's he's just on a scale <clears throat> and his physical attributes and his his skill and his attitude mental attitude is just that sort of you know generational talent and still only 20. the yeah, uh, first piece is interesting in the times actually because they've uh they, they have uh, Haaland with a chainsaw on his hands, obviously uh, photoshopped with a chainsaw on his hands saying who will make the cut and he just brings in some interesting kind of stats that maybe I wouldn't have known too much. I'm not the biggest uh, the biggest soccer fan in the world but he just says Haaland has facts to back up the fanfare. He's quicker to 100 goals in top class football than either Messi or Ronaldo. He has already scored 20 Champions League goals. He's only 14 uh, in only 14 games uh, and 39 goals this season, 33 for Dortmund week in. Week out, he's causing Jaws to drop. Uh, and it's interesting, he gets qu- quotes from, and I haven't heard this guy in a long time, Jan Agen of Fjortov. Uh, and I remember him going around Swindon when he used to score for Swindon and Middlesbrough doing the aeroplane. It was one of my uh, one of my fun. Were you doing that in the back garden, that. Michael, were you? Yeah, the whole time, whenever possible, and uh, he just—he's—he's uh, he's very friendly with the family, and uh, he's family friend of of Alfinga, and he just said we watched him score his goals against Bayern. Uh, we were shaking our heads and thinking, what are we part of as a small nation? We're very proud of our player. Uh, this is a, as a Norwegian, and he's our main man. And when we see him making headlines all around the, the world, the world it makes us very proud. And it's just interesting to see, like, like at twenty, to see what he's achieved already, and the more than in. Uh, horse racing or hurling or football it's that uh, when you have a young talent like that and it's always like the endless possibilities of what you think they could potentially be and what he is already produced at such a young age uh, is absolutely outstanding so it's no wonder that you know all of your big clubs are basically in the hunt for him, and I'm sure, I'm sure with his agent on board, um, they'll get the they'll get the best uh, they'll get the best deal. I, I, That's by the way that picture in the mail uh, of Holland with the yeah. chainsaw is a re- is a real picture, right? It's not Photoshop. Yeah, he, really? he's like yeah, he's 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 just different. Like he is completely different. Like he's he's a big into he's big into farming. I think he must have grown up in, in rural uh, part of Norway. There's other pictures of him driving around a tractor with his top off, uh, Vladimir Putin style. So um, <laughs> he's just he, like. He's got that bit of madness about him as well. Like I think he's amazing. But this, I, I just don't remember seeing this sort of thing where yeah. the player, yeah. like if you're a Dortmund fan, you must be going, like he's clearly using the club as a stepping stone because he's that good that his 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 dad and his agents and everybody around him is plotting his career carefully, every move. And the next question is, what's the best move for him? It's not like, oh, I'd love to play for you know. It's not like you think a young kid, 20-year-old kid, I'd love to play for United or I'd love to play for Barcelona. It's like they were all lined around, lined around him now saying, come to us now, we're the, we're the right club for you now. And it, it feels like he has his, he and his, his, his dad and his agent have their choice, you know, which is, it's pretty rare you come across something like that. Yeah, it's it's feeding into club ego and owner ego. That's what they're tapping into from Barcelona to Real Madrid to Manchester City who say they aren't interested but the back pages will also say that they are. To United with the Norwegian connection with Solskjaer. Munich don't seem to be interested but it's 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 fascinating what is going to happen. And also Mbappe, where, he's, where is he going to go? Because I, I mean, yeah. Mbappe's proven it at a World Cup level and, and with PSG. Some great writing uh, ahead of the Irish Grand National tomorrow, Michael, and then the English Grand National at Aintree next Saturday on horse racing, both in the Racing Post and in the, in the broadsheets as well. 
Yeah, I think, uh, lads, just when you're looking at it, how exciting of a time is it? You have the Irish National uh, tomorrow and a big Fairy House Easter Festival. You have the Cork Easter Festival. You have the Entry Grand National next week. You have the, the qualifying for the snooker coming up, so the World Championships is starting as well. You have the Masters as well. It's just, it's, it's We need two hours, Michael, for this. I, th- I think we do, to be honest with you. Um, I love, this is the best time of year for sport. Isn't it? Ever since. Best week. Yeah, this is the best week of the year. Yeah. These it's few weeks are brilliant. outstanding. And just even... Um, with my own kind of awfully background, there's a, a great piece in the in the Sunday Independent this week about the big dog. Uh, he runs in the Irish Grand National tomorrow. He'd be probably probably going to go off second or third favourite, but he's owned by the Kelly family. They'd be first cousins of uh, of John Troy that used to hurl with with Offaly. Obviously, everybody knew knew all the great skill that he had, and it's just it's just a great story here about. Uh, their dad John uh, scored the winning goal for Lusma in the 1989 county final, the only county final they ever won. And John uh, was stricken with a brain tumor um, in the middle of 2016. But they went to the races. Uh, they had the big dog was running a bumper uh, for Peter Fatty at the time. And uh, his son Colin, John's son Colin, just takes up the story here. He says uh, he arrived two hours early or two hours before the race. It was a bitterly cold day. It came time to go down to the prayer ring and I said, are you coming down? He said, no, I won't. I'm not able. I said, we, I said we'd come back up and watch the race with him. And then he actually did end up going down to the prayer ring with him. He was in a wheelchair at the time. And he said, when you watch it on the big screen without knowing it, you're starting to move towards it. Next thing I look around and there's my father standing beside me. He'd gotten up out of the wheelchair. Fellows were joking after that that it was like a miracle. The man goes into the prayer ring in a wheelchair. The horse wins and he's able to lead him in. He actually led the horse in having been, you know, struck struck with a, a brain tumour and, you know, in his his health was really, really deteriorating at the time. And that's just, it's, a, it's an amazing story because anybody that hasn't been involved in horses or doesn't know that much about horses, when you're involved, I was involved with an ownership of a, a flat horse uh, a few years ago. It literally is like having a member of family run. Uh, it's, and if someone says something bad about your horse, it is literally like saying something bad about your mother, father, or your brothers and sisters. And Colin Kelly just says it at the end there. He says, in our house, the big dog is spoken about as if he's human being. He means that much. And that is that is what a horse uh, would mean to people and mean to a family and mean to the whole of Lusman Offaly, uh, neighbouring parishes in Banagher, and the whole of Offaly will be looking at the big dog tomorrow and supporting him. And it's just such a great backstory to it. Um, Colin and Damien Kelly, their, their, their father John died uh, maybe about five or six months after after the big dog won a hurdle race on Tiesta's day. But he will always be remembered through that horse. And the fact that they have him running in, you know, one of the marquee events in, in Irish jump racing, it, it must be an unbelievable buzz for them. Best of luck to them tomorrow. And it's also illustrative of the fact that you don't have to be a big player in National Hunt you can have these flooring porters at Cheltenham and the big dog running tomorrow for, for Peter Fahey. And also, just touching upon that, um, there was a beautiful piece from Peter Thomas in the Racing Post by Bob Champion, who won the Grand National at all, on Alden 80 in 1981. Uh, I just I would recommend anybody to read it. Like I, I almost got emotional reading it. it was, uh, I had goosebumps reading it, John. Yeah, yeah. It was, it was it, like, Genuinely now, yeah. Just because I remember watching, I remember watching, they made a film about it after, like and Bob Champion was on his deathbed. I think he said he'd 191 yeah. days. I think he said the whole thing lasted 191 days, and he was sick 24 hours a day. He's basically getting really, really rigorous chemo. Uh, he they pumped platinum 
bleomycin and vinblastine into me every day for seven days. Like he was on his deathbed. The horse was essentially, um, you know, branded that it, the horse was knackered, that the horse would never run again. And all of a sudden you have this dream story and it's 40 years this year. Just I, I actually had goose pimples reading back through it and the quotes are, are so emotive as well, you know. Alden 80, 1981. So that's the Grand National next Saturday. Uh, the Masters uh, next Thursday. I, I was laughing out loud, Tommy, when I read the, the David Walsh interview with Billy Foster, who's now Matthew Fitzpatrick's caddy, but who's caddied for Seve, for Lee Westwood, for Darren Clark. It was great stuff. Yeah, it was a nice piece, actually. Um, something a bit different. There's obviously a lot of stuff about uh, Bryson and the different contenders. This was kind of like, gives you a nice bit of colour as to uh, the people who make... Uh, who make the, the the people sort of like the to the side of the big stars, you know, the supporting cast, which the, the caddies are obviously uh, one. And it's just lovely stories about, um, amazing story about uh, his first uh, Masters when he got, uh, he basically got the call from Seve to to, uh, to take his bag. Uh, incredible. But he's on the ninth hole and uh, he gives Seve the wrong club. And you know, Seve like glares at him with absolute death stare, and then basically Seve's up the back of the green, and there's like a triple tier put down, um, down to, to the hole. It's, and obviously the green's been so fast that uh, Augusta, it's it's disaster. Then of course Seve takes the putter, and then he, he hits it sideways and it rolls down. I see the dimples in the ball slowly edge back onto the green, so slow I can read the manufacturer's name on the ball, T I T L. Anyway, it works its way back onto the green, starts trickling down these staircases, first one, then another, breaking right all the way. All the way. Eventually, it stops four inches from the hole. Unbelievable imagination. He comes towards me. The scowl has gone from his face. In its place, the most radiant smile the game has ever seen. This beautiful man, he puts his arm around me. Billy, Billy, he says, not your fault. It's my fault for listening to you. It's <laughs> great stuff, absolutely. Just so a lot of lovely colour in that piece. Yeah, he's such a maverick, wasn't he, Sevy? And uh, Greg Normans in the Observer um, did an interview and uh, talks about Rory. And there's a quote here: "With every tournament that goes by, it becomes tougher for him." Norman says he's got the talent to do it. From what I see, I'm not a big fan of his putting stroke. He's very inconsistent with that. He might put well on Thursday, but a great putter does it from Thursday to Sunday afternoon. Rory goes and waves. You just can't do that in major championships. You remember that quite well. Greg Norman's collapse in 1996, a quarter of a century on this year, Michael. Yeah, I was only 10 at the time. I remember asking my mother, could I stay up to watch it? Because uh, I was a big fan of the Great White Shark at the time. And, you know, halfway into the round, it was just, yeah, it was devastating, really. And Nick Fallow ended up basically winning, kind of pulling up. And it's just interesting in that piece in The Observer to hear how... Uh, how he's, you know, he, he says that he's not, you know, haunted by it or anything like that. I still, I still find that hard to believe even 25 years on. No more than if you asked, I know he had a more successful career than would say John Van de Velde, but it was their haunting, haunting experiences that you imagine uh, don't leave you. Um, it's interesting to hear him talking about Rory's putting as well. Obviously, he's played a massive part with, with Dustin Johnson's putting as well. But yeah, it's just uh, even, even more so than, you know, reading a piece or an interview with you know DeChambeau or Rory or whoever this week I, I love those kind of nostalgic pieces that, that bring you back to those kind of really really defining moments in, in golf's history for me anyway I'll, I'll never forget that Sunday evening it's probably one of the most famous uh, fourth round in fourth rounds in Masters history it was it was unbelievable so dramatic and so heartbreaking as well and I just found it hard to believe reading the piece that 
he's not still somewhat heartbroken over it. Absolutely. We've pretty much run out of time, Michael and uh, Tommy. Fantastic stuff, as always, from you both. Just to maybe just point us in the direction of one piece, uh, Tommy, I thought the Brian Dugan piece on Marvin Hagler and Sugar Ray Leonard was excellent. Maybe that one or something else that you want to just yeah, point the listeners in the direction all, of. I think we all agreed um, in terms of something else that might be a nice read this evening when you when you get a chance to put your feet up uh, after a nice bit of roast lamb or something. Um, uh, Brian Dugan is an author who's written the story of the Super Fight, which is the 1987 meeting of um, Marvin Hagler and Sugar Ray Leonard. And it's two-page piece there about, um, about both fighters and the fight itself and about Hagler and, and the background he, he came from. Um, and, you know, that that sort of thing of being the kind of perceived as the baddie of those great middleweights of the 80s. And, and there's a nice bit of um, thread with Joe Frazier telling them why that would be the case. You've got three strikes against you. You're yeah. back, you're a southpaw, and you're good. Um, okay. And just that that sort of um, thread through his life. Great, great piece to sit sit back and enjoy this evening. Absolutely, Tommy. Michael, briefly something from you. Uh, yeah, there's a lovely interview with Jordan Brown uh, in the Irish Mail by Mark Gallagher. Uh, just he obviously won the Welsh Open uh, a few uh, a few what about three or four weeks ago. At this stage, he was working in a, a petrol station up until two or three years ago, working mad shifts. That's an interesting piece. And Jason Byrne in the Irish Sun has a nice interview with Keith Higgins, obviously who sailed off into inter-county retirement, his football retirement, but he's still playing hurling. And that's an interesting piece as well. Okay. But the Hagler the Hagler Leonard stuff is outstanding. It is brilliant. Is it Michael Verney from the Irish Independent and Tommy Martin from? Virgin Media. Enjoy the rest of your Easter weekend, guys. Thanks so much. Thanks, John. Cheers, John. Thanks for having us. The Sunday Papers on Off the Ball.